Well, we are in week 18 of the story. We're, we're over the halfway mark. And throughout this series, we've continued to emphasize what we've termed the upper story and the lower story. As we read the Bible, we at times, we at times can get lost in some of the details, and, and sometimes we can miss the picture when we're looking at some of these individual stories and we're reading how God worked in individual lives, and sometimes not see how it fits into the whole. Part of the reason sometimes we have this struggle is because the lower story is told from the point of view of, of those individuals who are learning to trust God, and sometimes they didn't see the whole picture. And they've been saved by grace, they're, they're learning to walk by faith, but, but often they can't see the upper story. And, and that's why we call it faith, right? We, we are trusting God, and that He's in complete control of the details, and when life seems to not make sense, God's people continue to keep their eyes on our Lord. Uh, now, I, I bring this all up because the exile that we just mentioned here, this last key word that we've learned, this exile plays a, a very key role in today's study. On the lower story, there were, there were many people uh, who, who didn't understand. But, but throughout the history of Israel, uh, we've seen that God has already been telling them that if they followed after other gods, if they refused to obey Him as a nation, that, that God has already been telling them that, that He was going to scatter them into the, into the nations so that they would return to Him. Because He loves us, because God disciplines, he, because He loves us, He disciplines us like a father lovingly disciplines his children. And, and if you think of it, Exile and God's discipline has been something that's been happening all the way from the very beginning. All the way back in the first lesson when we started this series, we saw that, that man fell in the garden. He deliberately disobeyed God. He intentionally disobeyed God in Genesis chapter 3. And right after Adam and Eve willingly disobeyed the one commandment that God gave to them, He first makes them a promise of a deliverer. Uh, this is the first instance of the message of the Gospel in the Bible that there's good news, that there's a solution to our problem of sin. But then right after He shed blood and, and clothed them, we read that God exiled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and so that they wouldn't remain in sin forever. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, several hundred years later, thousands of years later, before Israel crossed into the Promised Land, Moses preached a sermon. And he prophesied that God would once again send his people into exile. And the purpose that he was going to do this was to bring about repentance in their lives. About 400 years later, after Moses, King Solomon comes along. And just after he completed the first temple, if you read 2 Chronicles chapter 6, we also see that he preached a sermon. And in that sermon, he also prophesied that when they sinned against Yahweh their God, that he was going to exile them until they turn their hearts back to him in repentance. And now, almost 400 years after Solomon, we've been looking at some of these prophets, and one of those prophets was a guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, we saw, also preached several times sermons that talked about this exile that God has been talking about all the way from the beginning. So this is a theme that God continues to bring back and continues to reiterate. And now we come to the point in Israel's history where God says, okay, I've been telling you this for thousands of years that if you don't obey me, this is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what we saw happen over this last couple weeks. In the year 722, 
God fulfilled His promise and He sent the northern kingdom into exile from which they never have completely returned. They've been scattered around the world ever since then. Some of them returned and some of them intermarried and then we had the Samaritans. Uh, but in the southern kingdom, we saw the same thing happen in the year 586. In 586, He sent the southern kingdom of Judah into exile and Babylon eventually came down and they burnt down the temple. They burnt down the city of Jerusalem. So, so keep in mind, and notice that on the upper story, God has been weaving His plan throughout the events of the lower story that we've been exploring over this last 18 weeks. And understand that the exile that happened to the Jews, as, as horrible as that was, as Jeremiah wrote lamentations and he mourned over the destruction of his city, God is not sitting in heaven going, wow, what happened? Sorry, what happened to that? <laughs> what happened, really? Careful with those hands and microphones, man. God's not sitting in heaven saying, what happened here? He, he's been telling them all along that this is what was going to happen. And so the exile never surprised the Lord. In fact, He is the one who, who brought it to pass. very important individual in the Bible that you've probably heard of is a man named Daniel. <coughs> Excuse me. There's also a book of the Bible named after him, and so I encourage you to turn there with me today. We're in Daniel chapter 9 this morning. Uh, the stories that we heard about Daniel in Sunday school, and which the kids are actually learning today, included Daniel being taken as a captive from Israel. King Nebuchadnezzar came and took him away to a foreign land as a young man, him and his three friends. We, um, we saw that Daniel was determined that he would not defile himself, and so, so God blessed Daniel. He put him in a position of power and authority and influence. And for the next 60 to 70 years, Daniel has a very, uh, a very unique opportunity to uh, minister before the kings of Babylon and, and Persia. You probably know the story of his three friends in Daniel chapter 3 who were cast into the fiery furnace. And the fourth man, probably a pre-incarnate picture of, uh, image of, of Jesus who appeared um, walking in the midst of the furnace with them. You know Daniel chapter 6 and the story of Daniel in the lion's den where God sent an angel to stop the mouth of the lion and he, he spared Daniel's life in his old age. Today, we're going to read a, a different kind of story about this same Daniel. And it comes toward the end of the exile. So, so we've seen that we had this period of 19 kings in the north and 20 kings in the south. And, and God took both of those kingdoms into exile. And they've been in a foreign land now for decades. And towards the end of that time, uh, we come to the, the book of Daniel, and specifically we come to chapter 9. It's a very extraordinary passage for several reasons. Uh, first, Daniel 9 is an extraordinary chapter um, because it's, Daniel sets an example for us of how to study the Bible. There are parts of the story that, that Daniel didn't understand. Which is kind of encouraging, isn't it? Have you ever read passages from the Bible and you went, what in the world is happening here? You've been there? Done that? Wow, I'm the only one. Um, yeah, I mean, there's times that the Bible is like, what? I don't understand. How's this fit together? It's encouraging to me that, that Daniel, the, this great man of God that, that is just, his life was extraordinary, that, that he also came to Scripture and went, God, I don't understand what's happening. Um, but he studied the Scripture. He continued to study God's Word and to pursue the answers that he needed there. And so he gives us a great example of what Bible study should look like. Uh, 
It's, chapter 9 is also extraordinary because here Daniel sets an example for us of how to pray. And third, it's an extraordinary chapter because in God's, in God's answer to Daniel's prayer, the, the Lord reveals an outline of the rest of human history. In about eight verses, God is going to sum up in a nutshell everything that's going to come from Daniel's point to the future, even our future. All of this because Daniel was trying to better understand what this word, the exile, meant and this experience of being in a foreign land. And so as he's processing that, as he's trying to understand the exile, as he's trying to figure out how do we respond to this, what's God doing in the lower story? And God's going to teach him those things throughout Daniel chapter 9. So let's start by looking at Daniel's Bible study. Now, these first couple of verses are extra extraordinary because it demonstrates a beautiful principle in action. Not just a principle for the people in the Bible, but a principle for you and for me. You see, we need to understand that God's Word is truth. The Bible is living. The Bible is active. And in the Scripture, we find everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that you need for life and godliness is in the Scripture. You might not have all the answers. You, not, you might not be able to put all the details together or understand all the mysteries of the ages. But in the Scripture, God has given you everything that you need. And Daniel understood that. And so here he is, and, and, and he sets this incredible example for us of going to God's Word when he was looking for answers. So look at verses 2 and 3. We're going to look at what Daniel studied, and, and we're going to fill that out a little bit, not as much as we've done before when we looked at this passage in Sunday school. Uh, we won't have the time to do that this morning, but um, I'd like to sum up a little bit of what, we, what it looks like Daniel's doing. Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, he says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of Yahweh to Jeremiah, the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Well, that's an exciting passage, right? 70 years, Babylon, desolations, what in the world does all that mean, right? I think that's what Daniel was asking. Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah. You remember those passages we've just been looking at over this last few weeks? We've touched on Jeremiah. We touched on some of the very passages that I think Daniel was reading this day. And we're told he was observing in Scripture what Jeremiah said. And he's reading it and going, huh, 70 years. Huh, desolation of Jerusalem. This all sounds familiar. I've watched this happen. My people have watched this happen. We're living the exile right now. And when Daniel chapter 9 was happening, do you know what had happened just a few weeks or a few months before this passage took place? Babylon had fallen. He was living now, he had been in a, in a period where he, for 70 years almost, Daniel lived in Babylon. And then the Persians came in, and in one night, without a battle, they destroyed the empire of Babylonia. And Daniel's watching all this happen and go, wait a minute. This is all happening right now. And I'm reading Jeremiah, and Jeremiah talked about this several years ago. So, First of all, let's just mention three terms that I think Daniel's looking at as he's reading these passages. He mentions a couple of them in those couple verses we just read. Three terms that oftentimes get confused. Uh, he talks about Babylon. There's 70 years for Babylon. Uh, he talks about a period of desolation. That's a period of complete destruction and, 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 and hopelessness for the land. And he also talks about a period of captivity. 
And I think Daniel is trying to fit those together. And the purpose of this sermon today is not for us to explain all those. I love to, and I enjoy that topic, but, but that's not for today. We've done that before. Um, but, but those are the terms that I think Daniel's working with. And this idea of exile and desolation and Babylon. And Lord, how does all this work together? And as he's reading through these passages, I think there's three primary passages from the book of Jeremiah that, that Daniel is looking at. And I'd like to walk you through those just briefly and observe some of these, these key events that Jeremiah had prophesied and Daniel's looking at and going, this is happening today. The first one is from Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 through 12. Uh, the prophecy that Jeremiah preached happened in the year 605, and so this is the first time Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem. This is the year that Daniel was taken captive and he was carried off to Babylon himself. It was four years after Babylon had started its rule as the world empire. And God prophesied in Jeremiah 25, he says, these nations, all these nations around Judah, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Well, God's kind of specific, times, specific sometimes, isn't he? He says, 70 years. They're going to serve the king of Babylon. And so Daniel's looking, he's counting. Okay, okay they, yeah, that battle took place there. This is Babylon. Babylon fell, that was 70 years, and, and I'm watching this, and Babylon's done, so yeah, it happened. It was 70 years to the month. And then after 70 years are completed, Jeremiah continues, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans. That's another word for the Babylonian people. So Daniel's looking at this, it's 539 B.C., 609 B.C., 70 years, yep, this all happened. And just like God said to Jeremiah, the king of Babylon was punished. Well, then he keeps on reading, and he probably gets through Jeremiah 26, and he comes to Jeremiah 27, and in Jeremiah 27.7, a prophecy that was written a few years after that other one, he reads this, all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, until the time of his own land comes, and then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. Daniel's reading that going, okay, yeah, that happened. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. After Nebuchadnezzar was king, uh, he was replaced by his son, a guy named Evil Marduk. Um, it doesn't mean that he was an evil Marduk guy. He just, that's his name, and it means something in Babylonian. But um, uh, he was succeeded by four, uh, several generals. And then after that, um, there was a man named Belshazzar who was appointed to be king with his father, and he became king of the land. And we believe that Belshazzar was actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson through Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, probably. And so Jeremiah, uh, Daniel's looking at Jeremiah chapter 27, and he says, okay, this has been fulfilled. And then he keeps on reading, and he comes to Jeremiah chapter 29, a passage that we, we preached on just a few weeks ago. Jeremiah chapter 29 was a letter that was written in 597 B.C., and, and it was right at the beginning of the captivity. You remember that story? The people had just been taken away. Ezekiel and all the others had been taken away to the, the land of Babylon. And, and they have prophets there, false prophets, that are saying, hey, don't get comfortable, we're heading home here in a few weeks. This is all going to end and everything's going to be fine. And God says, no, no, that's not what I promised. And so in Jeremiah 29, he has, he has Jeremiah write a letter. And he sends that letter, and in that letter he says, stay there, build houses, let your sons marry, marry your daughters, build gardens, plant, build you're going to be staying, and, and I'm going to bless you in this land of your exile. But then after the years for Babylon are done, guess what's going to happen? 
I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to visit you. Let's read that again. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So Jeremiah is reading this and going, okay, wait a minute. We, God's starting to fulfill these things. It's been 70 years. He fulfilled the promise, prophecy of Jeremiah 25. He fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah 27. And he fulfilled the prophecy, prophecy of 29. And, and 70 years for Babylon have been completed. But what's the missing part here? We're still here. We're still living in exile, but Babylon is done. So why hasn't God fulfilled His Word? And I think Jeremiah is reading these prophecies and he's studying the Bible. And he's going, God, please help me understand what's happening here. He's searching for answers. He's studying the Scripture. And as he reads through chapter 29, God promises that He's going to visit them and return them to the land. But then he reads verses 12 and 13 and there's a missing piece that hasn't happened yet. Did you catch what it was? When my people pray. When my people call upon me, they come to me and they pray, you will seek me and you will find me. And the problem is, is Daniel and the people haven't done that yet and come to God and say, Lord, we sinned against you. In verse 14, he makes a promise that when that happens, he says, I will be found by you, declares Yahweh. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares Yahweh. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so, only that one, two verses about the 70 years for Babylon has been completed. But the other promises, Daniel is still waiting for. Now, I know we're covering a lot here today, and some of this you might be going, okay, wow, this is, this is crazy. That's okay. Some of you are going to be catching every bit of this, and you've been following this, and you go, okay, yeah, yeah, I I'm, I'm got it all. And some of you are going, I still don't understand what the word exile means. All right, but that's okay. And what I want you to do is, is, is back up a little bit and see three main things that are taking place here. Even if you don't understand what's going on in Daniel's Bible study, I want you to see the example that Daniel sets for seeking the answers in Scripture. And I want you to see the example that he sets in prayer here in a moment. And then I want you to see what God does for Daniel. There's one other passage that I think Daniel was taking a look at. And it comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and there's a parallel passage where we see the same prayer recorded in 1 Kings chapter 8. But we have this prayer of Solomon. Do you remember that? Remember Solomon? Had King David, King Solomon. Um, and Solomon was given the task of building the temple. In those years where he was following the Lord and doing what was right, uh, the temple was completed, and, and Solomon preaches this sermon that I talked about just a few moments ago. And I'd like to read a portion of that. As he's preaching this sermon and, and as Solomon is praying he says this if they sin against you for there is no one who does not sin and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near does that sound familiar that's the exile right yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity saying we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. 
If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. I want you to know this is the last couple words. You see that? Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer, and hear their plea. And here's part of the reason I think Daniel's reading this passage as well. Because what Daniel's going to do next is he's going to spend the next several verses praying to God. And he's going to do exactly what God commanded them to do in those prophecies of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, excuse me, Daniel is going to pray, and he's going to turn his attention to, to making supplication, to plea, pleading with God to answer his prayer. Well, that takes us through the main passage that I think Daniel was studying. I think he's looking at those sections of Jeremiah. He's looking at that prayer of Solomon, and he's familiar with some other passages. A a lot of that, again, it might have gone over your head. Maybe you caught it all. But I think that Daniel was struggling too. I think Daniel was reading all these passages and trying to understand all these terms. Even some of the angels in a few passages later on go, Lord, how long? Just uh, so the angels are confused a little bit. And so if they're having a hard time with it, it's okay for us to too. I think Daniel's struggling through these concepts. And whether he understood it all, whether you understand it all, and all the details of, of, of these of here, there's three things I don't want you to miss about what Daniel just showed us. You might not understand the 70 years and the captivity, and, but there's three things you need to catch. Number one, Daniel shows us that God's Word is true all that you need for life and godliness is there dare to be a daniel and commit yourself to being a woman or a man after god's own heart commit yourself to being a person that hungers and thirsts for the word of god number two god's word needs to be observed we talk a lot about observation, interpretation, application. Do those in the right order. We, we oftentimes come to the Bible and we open it up and go, oh, cool. Okay, that's how I'm going to apply that today. You know the story of the, the woman who is seeking God's will? And so she said, I just need, I need a word from the Lord. What's God say? And so she opens up her Bible and, whoop, you ever done that? You know, kind of spin the globe thing, where am I going to go when I, you know. And it says, and Judas went and hung himself. Hmm, interesting passage. Well, maybe try again. And so she went through a Bible and, ah, boop, and go and do likewise. Not the message that she was looking for, not the message that God had for. And too often we do Bible study like that, don't we? Usually better results where we're not told to go do something horrible. All right? But that's not how God's Word works. It's intended to to be observed. And so before you say, oh, here's what I'm going to do with God's Word, take the time to observe it, actually look at what it says, and then decide what does it mean, and then how am I going to apply this to my life? You see, God's Word needs to be observed, and we're told specifically that Daniel observed what God's Word said. Don't just read what you want it to say. Don't don't try to twist Scripture to fit your purposes or or read just the warm, fluffy passages that are going to make you feel good. Devote yourself to reading all all that it has to say and let it do the hard things in addressing your sin let it do the hard things in addressing the problems of your life 
Do the hard thing and study it and, and, and seek the answers when you don't understand. Number three, not only is God's Word true and have everything that we need, not only does God's Word need to be observed, but number three, God's Word needs to be obeyed. When you read Scripture, ask yourself, what do I need to do, Lord? Daniel could have just walked away from here, couldn't he? He could have read Jeremiah. Okay, cool. Did my five-minute devotion today. <laughs> What's Nebuchadnezzar? Or Nebuchadnezzar's gone now. What's Cyrus want me to do today? He could have just walked away and, okay, I did my Bible study. That's it. But Daniel didn't walk away. Instead, he responds. In fact, he begins the process of those very passages. It prophesied that after 70 years for Babylon, my people will pray. And Daniel is maybe the first person that says, okay, let's do that. Because we want to go back home. We want to go back to Jerusalem, to our land that God gave to us. And so Daniel starts that process of saying, we're going to pray. We're going to offer our prayers. We're going to offer our pleas to our God, just like God foretold that we would. These next several verses are Daniel's response to what he just read. In verses 4 through 19, basically this entire passage is Daniel's prayer. I, I'm not going to try to explain all of it. I, I just want you to listen to what he prays. And we're going to read through his prayer and his pleas. But as you listen, all right, I want you to pay attention. Um, pay attention to the screen behind me. L listen to the words um, and, and, and pay attention to what's happening behind me and and watch what's happening during his prayer. And my prayer is that this would be an example for you of how we can pray. The first half of this section is what Solomon described as prayer. Daniel is confessing the sin of the people. And then you'll notice in verse 16 that Daniel switches to the second part of what Solomon described as their pleas. Daniel is making supplication for God's people. Listen to his prayer. Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 through 19. He says, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the peoples of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they committed against you. To us, O Yahweh, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against You. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed Your law and turned aside, refusing to obey Your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers 
who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of Yahweh our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore Yahweh has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For Yahweh our God is righteous in all the works that He has done. And we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Now listen to what He does as He turns from confession to supplication. He's offering pleas for His people. O Lord, according to all the right, Your righteous acts, let Your anger and Your wrath turn away from Your city, Jerusalem. Your holy hill, because our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and Your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O, o, o our God, listen to the prayer of Your servant and to His pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What a beautiful prayer, right? It's an amazing prayer. Not only because of the words that are in it, but what a beautiful fulfillment of what God said would happen. God had said that after the 70 years, there was one missing piece that Daniel's looking at, and he's going, there's something that hasn't happened here. And that missing piece was that the people hadn't prayed like God had said they would. And so Daniel starts that process. This was the missing piece. God had ended Babylon, and God was waiting to end the captivity and their exile, but he was waiting for them to offer up their prayers and their pleas, and Daniel starts that. But before we go on and look at God's answer, it's important that we observe Daniel's ex extraordinary example. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered how to pray sometimes? You ever found yourself praying for something? Praying for somebody? And you go, uh, <laughs> Lord, I, I just don't have the words. I don't know what to say. Been there? Or am I the only one again? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'm just at a loss. Lord, I, I don't know what to do. don't know what to say. What Daniel did here is he took Scripture. He took the very words of the text of Deuteronomy, Jeremiah. You saw all those passages behind me, right? As Daniel was praying, what he was praying were the very words of Scripture. He changed the pronouns, and rather than said you, he said we. He took God's Word and he applied it and basically repeated the Scripture from his own point of view. And I believe that the Lord loves this. I believe God loves it when we do that. And it's a wonderful way to pray. It indicates, first of all, it indicates that you believe what God says. 
when you pray the Scripture back to Him, it, it indicates that you've read God's Word, you, you've seen the promises that He's made, and, and when you pray that back to Him, we're essentially saying, God, I believe You. This is what You said that You would do. This is what You said is true, and Lord, I believe You. And so I'm going to respond to what You say because I believe You. We, we live in a society that, that uh, you hear a lot of name it and claim it culture, you know? If I, if I pray it, then God has to obey. No. Or if I pray really hard, right? Just something's there that, you know, I don't know. I feel it down deep. And so God's going to answer my prayer because I asked for a Maserati. Tell you what he will do when you take scripture and you accept the promises that he's made and say, I, I believe you, God delights in answering your prayers. And so, not only does it indicate that we believe what God says, it also leads us to pray for what God wills. You see, too often we, our prayers are, are these Christmas lifts to Santa Claus, or, or we pray for things that. that just doesn't conform to what God wants for us. And so oftentimes God says no. Not, not because he's saying wait a while, but because our prayers can sometimes be selfish. Our prayers can sometimes be ignorant. Our prayers can sometimes be contradictory to the very things that God has said in his word. But when we pray scripture back to him, there's a, a much greater conversation taking place, isn't there? Well, Daniel sets this incredible answer, example to us of, of what prayer can look like and a way that we can pray. It's not the only way to pray. I'm not saying don't use your words to God, but, but sometimes just taking Scripture and praying what God's Word says is a wonderful way of having a wonderful conversation with Him. In the next few verses, he sends a messenger. And so we see in the rest of this chapter God's answer to Daniel. And I'd like to, to walk through this. There's, there's a lot happening here. This is probably five more sermons all by itself. We're going to do it here in about five, ten minutes, okay? Uh, we've taught this in Sunday school class, and so many of you have walked through this passage with me before. But I'd like you to look at the, what God does here. Daniel goes on, verse 20, let's just say it in his words. He says, while I was speaking and praying. Do you hear that? While the words were on Daniel's mouth... He's fulfilling the, the prophecy of Jeremiah by praying and asking supplication and pleading to God. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before Yahweh my God for the holy hill of my God, that's Jerusalem, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, that's not what he looks like by the way, this, the man Gabriel whom I have seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Now, you may not have Gabriel come to your door and say, Hey, I got an answer for you. That's not usually how God answers prayer, right? But what I want you to understand here is that when you do pray, there are things happening in heaven that you and I can't see. Daniel had no idea this was happening, did he? He, 
He's just saying, oh, Scripture says this. I'm going to obey. And so Daniel prays. What Daniel doesn't see is that in heaven, God is sending out a command and an angel is sent to Daniel at that very moment. And that, Dan, that, that angel Gabriel arrives and says, Daniel, here's the answer to your prayer. You wanted understanding? Here it is. I'm going to explain a lot of these things for you. There's some of these things you're not going to understand and some of these things you will. But, um, but here it is. And so God sends a messenger. And, and here's, the, here, here's the sum up of the message. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. All right, a little bit of an explanation there. We're not going to go too in-depth. This is one of the most incredible prophecies of the entire Bible. Okay, I want you to understand this. This chapter right here, uh, it, it lays so many arguments against God's Word to, to waste, all right? And so if you really want a fun study, this chapter is amazing. We're just going to give you some tidbits here. So the angel tells Daniel, he says, 70 weeks are decreed for, let me get that right, your people, and your holy city. That's Jerusalem. When he says 70 weeks, understand that the, the word week in Hebrew is seven. All right, so literally he says 70 sevens have been decreed for your people. So when we hear week, what do we think of? Seven literal days, right? Okay, but what he's prophesying is, Daniel, there are going, going to be 70 periods of seven. How many How many? periods is that 70 times 7 is 490 there's gonna be 490 something that are decreed about your people and your holy city let me just give you the answer to that okay these are 490 years okay so the weeks represent seven days each day represents one year when you look at prophecies that are fulfilled in matthew 24 daniel had no way of knowing this okay there's no way you can read this passage and go, oh, that's 490 years. You, you couldn't do that. But if you skip ahead and you read Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and 25, and then you skip ahead to the book of Revelation, and you read what Revelation says about this, you start putting the pieces together, and God's word later on is going to tell us that what was told to, to Daniel here was 490 years. What was the purpose of these 77s? What was the purpose of these 490 years? He gives six, six things in verses 11 through 18. And I want you to notice that each one of these purposes corresponds to one of Daniel's prayer requests. So remember, the angel is coming to answer his prayer. Daniel prayed for things, and, and in response to that, God says, because you prayed this, I'm going to do this. Because you prayed this, I'm going to do this. So each one of these things is an answer to Daniel's prayer. But, but here's what those things are. These 490 years are going to make to finish the transgression... So it's going to bring a time that ultimately is going to, Israel is going to stop transgressing against God's law, and consequently they're going to stop wandering over the whole earth. Number two, to put an end of sin. Uh, so when Israel stops sinning against their God, has that happened yet? Still happening. So some of these things are still yet to be fulfilled, right? Number three, to atone for iniquity. Oh, wait, that's happened, right? Jesus died on the cross and he made atonement for our sins. To bring in everlasting righteousness, number four. And so the righteousness of God's kingdom resulting from His mercy is going to take place. Some of that started happening. He's given us His righteousness, but there's still aspects of that that are still to be fulfilled in the future. To seal both vision and prophet. To, 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 he's going to end prophecy. God's prophetic plan that we find throughout the whole Old Testament is finally going to come to a completion. And to anoint a most holy place. Okay, So the temple is going to be dedicated. There's a lot happening there that we're not going to get to today, 
But let me give you a couple tidbits. If you want to write down some dates or some things here, you can. And you can go back and study it later on. But uh, he says, from the issuing of a decree. Hmm. So when does that take place? I think I got it up here, right? Well, if you look at how God's word is later going to be fulfilled, Daniel had no way of knowing this, right? Because these things haven't happened yet. But what's the advantage that we have? We're living after all these things, right? And so we can actually read Daniel, and then we can look at human history and read Matthew and read Revelation and go, oh, look, what Daniel was told, it happened. And so he was told that when there was going to be a decree that was going to be an issue, and the decree was specifically to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, that happened in 445 B.C. One one, one back, really quick. Artaxerxes, if you read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah makes a decree. And he says, we're going to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah, you go back home. And, and you read that book before? All right? That decree in Nehemiah, that's the start date for that 490 years. All right, so let's do a little bit of math, okay? I told you some of you weren't going to understand everything today. Some of you are going to love this, and some of you are going to go, I left this behind my junior year of high school. Please don't do this to me. But Daniel does, so we're going to. So... He talks about there are seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven plus 62 is, six, you can say it, it's right there in front of you, 69. You don't even have to do the math. All right, 69 weeks. And so if you take March 14th, 445 B.C., look at this, I have a full stage I can walk around on now. Um, March 14th, 445 B.C., if you calculate how many days are in a year, all right, and if you're confused about 360, remember that we're using a different kind of calendar. These are lunar years based on a lunar calendar. So again, you don't have to understand all the specifics of it, but if you want to, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But if you're doing the math and going, Jeff, you missed it by about 25 days, I can tell you why later on. Anyway, all that to say, take March 14th, add to that 173,880 literal days. That's 483 years, okay, the 69 weeks. You know what happened on that day, April the 6th, A.D. 32? Anybody know? Jesus gets on a donkey. You remember the story? Palm Sunday? He gets on a full of a donkey that's never been ridden before, and in fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on April the 6th, 32 AD, and he rides into Jerusalem, and he's declaring himself to be the king. That's what that's all about. Palm Sunday, people are putting their cloaks on the ground and palm branches, and what they're doing is they're saying, you're the king. We recognize you as the king. And so exactly, okay, you catch what's happening here? Did you see how remarkable this is? Daniel was told, 445 B.C., uh, 100 plus years before Nehemiah ever happened, Daniel was given a specific prophecy that a certain amount of time was going to be allotted, and on March 14th, 445 B.C., the clock started ticking. And exactly as God prophesied to Daniel, it happened. And in that prophecy, we're told that a few things are going to happen. It says, Messiah, the prince, is going to come. What had happened on Palm Sunday? Messiah, the prince, came. And he offered the kingdom, and it was a real offer. Daniel 9 goes on. He says a few other things are going to happen. 
Uh, Let's look up. Let's just sum up the rest of human history and what he's going to accomplish. Here's the things that God says are going to happen in that period of time. Now, before I get there, actually, go back one more slide. Sorry. I I, I gotta mention this. I wasn't planning on it, but you see the 69 weeks? What was the prophecy for? How many? 70. What, What happened? We're missing one, aren't we? All right. Now, we can go into a lot of this, and we're not going to today, but there's one more week, one more period of seven years. Some of you might know exactly what I'm talking about. The Bible in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, the book of Revelation, it talks about a period of seven years of tribulation. Have you ever heard of that before? Now, we haven't been there yet. And so the interesting thing is, is that there's a pause in this program. Daniel's never told all this is going to happen sequentially. The first 69 weeks are, the first 483 years are going to happen, and then Messiah the Prince is going to come on, and then he's told Messiah is going to be cut off. But there's one more week in which God is still going to fulfill all these things that he said he's going to accomplish for Israel. And that time is still coming, and I believe it's at hand. We should be looking for it. We should be waiting for it, living as if it was to happen tomorrow. And Jesus was to come back for his people today. Well, he sums up all of human history. I'm going to give you the short version of it. Seven things that we find in this passage. All right, you can go forward now, Gabe. Thanks. I told Gabe he had to work out his fingers. This is, you know, 50 slides today. It's crazy. All right, number one, Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That was prophesied. We were told that, that Jesus was going to be cut off. He was crucified. That happened. We're told that the city was going to be destroyed again. That also happened, 70 A.D. There's a few other things. We're told that the Antichrist is is going to come. Has that happened yet? Not yet. All right? And so some of these things are still in our future. We don't know how they're going to be fulfilled exactly, just like Daniel didn't know exactly how these things were going to be fulfilled. We can see a lot of them and go, wow, that's cool, but some of them, we're still waiting. The tribulation is prophesied in this passage. Persecution of the Jews is prophesied. God's victory is prophesied. And so there's a lot happening in Daniel chapter 9. Here's the conclusion of it all. I want you to see that God's work on the upper story, it's already been written. You might be looking at these things going, ah, I don't understand all this fits together, or I don't know what my life is doing. I'm looking at my story and thinking, how does this fit in with what God promised? Daniel was trying to figure a lot of that out too. And the people in exile were trying to figure a lot of that out. But in Daniel chapter 9, God comes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, look, I I want you to know I've got it all planned already. I I I can tell you the day that the Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem and offer himself as the king, I can tell you that the Messiah is going to be cut off. They're going to kill him. I can tell you that there's going to be this Antichrist that's going to come, and there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be persecution, but God is going to have the victory. And he says, Daniel, I've got this under control. You can trust me. My friends, you and I can trust this God who is completely in charge, who is never surprised by what's happening on the lower story of our lives. He's never surprised by what happens in your life. So will we trust him? Will we read his word? Will we observe what it says? Will we respond to God's word? And will we be people after God's own heart who come to him in prayer, praying the very things that we know are his will because he declared them?
told our praise team earlier I was probably going to go over today, and I have. We're going to do something here now that I think is a great response to this passage because um, God told us, Jesus told us, uh, when the last time He met with His disciples, He met with His disciples and He says, I'm going to come back. Um, before I leave you, though, I'm going to be crucified. My body's going to be broken. My blood's going to be spilled out. And he celebrated the last dinner, a last supper with his disciples. And he, he changed some things. He started a new covenant with them. And they celebrated the first communion. And he's commanded us to do this together until he returns again. So as we look at a passage like Daniel 9, which shows us how God has everything under control. He, he's sovereign, and he's planned the upper story from beginning to end. He's, he's had it all in mind from the start. What a wonderful opportunity for us to say, God, we believe you. We believe what you say about Jesus Christ. We, we believe that he came and died on the cross for our sins, and we trust you to take our sin away because of what Jesus did. Uh, we believe what you say about the future. We believe what you say about the resurrection. Not only Jesus' resurrection, but ours. And as we celebrate communion, what we're doing is we're saying all that. We're saying, I, I believe what you say about Jesus. I believe what you say about the resurrection. I believe what you say about coming again. 